So for the last three years, our older two kids, Andrew and Sarah, have been getting more and more into advanced Lego. And each time we go out to the mall, out in Victor, we almost wait with bated breath about which set they're going to start eyeing this time. I know the day is going to come when our son, Andrew, is going to want the Star Wars Millennium Force kit. Now, I know it's, it's not one of those cost prohibitive things. There's certainly far more expensive sets out there. But the fact that it is over 1,300 steps to be able to complete, that is a whole nother story. The instructions alone, I downloaded them off the internet. They nearly put some of my reference books to shame. You know what? Sometimes it feels like life is a thousand plus steps all at the same time. Like we're keeping a billion plates spinning at once. And it can get overwhelming. And if it's, if it were a manual, if we ha actually had a manual to, you know, living life, forget putting reference books to shame. I mean, it put the whole library to shame. Wikipedia has got nothing on this one. You know what? Some parts of the Christian life can kind of feel the same way. And today, we're hitting a common Pentecost passage, the day, the birthday of the church, a very um, mission-oriented holiday within the Christian year. And really, the, the idea is inspired by something that's going to be going on in next week's service live as we're having a special guest come uh, and discuss one of the cool aspects, one of the unique aspects of mission from the other side of things. So that's kind of what's guiding the engine behind these next two weeks. So I just want to have bring up one little angle of mission, which, yes, can feel so overwhelming. I get it. You know, we're in, we're to win the world for Jesus. I mean, talk about 1,300 steps all at once. I get it. It's, it's a lot. So we're going to try and approach just one sliver of the story today, this Pentecost story, which, yes, we could talk about probably for an entire year, but just one little bit of it, because I get there's a lot we could talk about when it comes to missions and evangelism and stuff like that. But there's one aspect that's at work throughout all of it. And it can help us find the joy in sharing hope with others, even today. So let's look at the story, uh, the sliver of the story that we're going to look at. The Pentecost story really takes place across all of Acts 2. But we're going to look at just verses 37 to 41 right now. It goes like this. Now when they, the crowd, had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. Now, from the get-go, we're going to take a little bit of peace in one section of this called verse 39. It goes like this. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. See, Luke gives us some distinction here, if you will. Those who are right around you in your immediate sphere of influence and those who are far off. See, yes, the idea of winning the world for Jesus can be pretty overwhelming, pretty daunting task. Kind of like the idea of eating an elephant. 
Maybe you've heard the phrase that goes along with that. How does the advice go? If you want to partake in eating an elephant, you do it one bite at a time. Remember, how does Jesus' commissioning go when he's commissioning the the disciples earlier on in Acts 1.8? He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So to imagine this, I want you to think of the idea of concentric circles. Circle within a circle within a circle starts in Jerusalem, aka right here where we are. In our context, here in New York at least, it would be like, you'll be my witnesses in Newark and in Wayne County and in New York and to the ends of the earth. Well, next week, we'll get to hear about the ends of the earth part. I will probably, as an editor's note, uh, probably be trying to record what our um, what our guest is saying at the live service, and then I'll end up posting that to our Facebook page uh, at, you know, after being able to edit it and everything like that. So you may hear about that you know, Monday or Tuesday or something like that. But this week, can I come back to today, we're going to hone in on the local part and the gift that makes all of this possible. Maybe you picked up a little bit on it in Jesus' commissioning in Acts 1. Well, we're going to rehash it a bit here in verse 38. It goes like this. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to use this idea of how this gift of the Holy Spirit, sometimes you'll hear it in some traditions, Holy Ghost, sometimes there are references, um, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus. At some point, they're talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, even though the words may be a little bit different and, and there's some nuance to that and all that sort of thing. I'm not going to try and break all of that down, but we're going to look at how that gift of the Holy Spirit is used in the context of maybe a one-on-one conversation as the idea of local mission. So how does the Holy Spirit work as a gift in this particular context? Well, three ways. First off, the Holy Spirit works ahead of us. Here's the cool thing about sharing your faith, which is kind of synonymous with the idea of missions or evangelism. I, I sort of use those terms interchangeably. If I'm led to talk to somebody, and we'll get to that idea in a little bit, I can trust that the Holy Spirit has already been building the foundation for that conversation for days, weeks, maybe even months, or sometimes even years before I have actually started that conversation. See, if somebody trusts Jesus with their life in my presence, it's not just because of my words. Like I had some magic words to be able to do it. You know, if I can use a construction metaphor and I'm building a house in in the context of, of a person's life, my words are just the interior decoration. It happens. A house exists because the Holy Spirit has laid the foundation, has put up the framing, has done all the drywalling and all that other kind of stuff to to build the guts of the house. What I do is just sort of the, the last little bit of touch. How do I know this? Well, Paul says, Paul writes to the Ephesians, one of his churches, and to humanity in general when he kind of lays out the situation and it seems a little dismal in the start of Ephesians 2 with the part that I'm going to read. I promise in the next couple of verses after it, if you read all of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it, it comes out of the dismal and into the hope. 
But at first, we have to understand the reality of our situation. And Paul lays it out in Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. goes like this. You were dead through your trespasses and sins, in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. So Christians often kind of compare and contrast these ideas of being dead in your sin and being alive in Christ. And in short, that shift occurs when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. But here's the point to that. If we're spiritually dead, now think even in the terms of being physically dead, if we're spiritually dead before Christ, what do we contribute to our own resurrection? Right, nothing. People in the morgue don't do CPR on themselves, physically. The same thing happens spiritually. Rather, the Holy Spirit kind of acts like a spiritual defibrillator to shock us back in, into having some kind of life. Here's the idea. Take comfort in this. That mission success doesn't hinge on your ability or on my ability, on our wisdom to come up with the right words all on our own or to have the right conversations all on our own. God is far too wise to leave the, the value or the legacy of the church in human finite wisdom. God's a lot smarter than doing that. But God only, the Holy Spirit not only works ahead of us, but also works through us. Now, this is certainly one of those topics where we could cover for a whole year's worth of Sundays. But here's the, the little sliver point that I want to make out of this. You ever get that nudge to talk to somebody that maybe you haven't talked to in a while, you make that random just saying hi phone call or, or dropping somebody a text or a message. You stop to chat with somebody that maybe you kind of only know on the fringes, only through six degrees of separation. Enter the Holy Spirit putting some of those pieces together. There's a story of a disciple in Acts 8. It's one of my favorites, honestly, of a disciple who had a great ministry going on. And he kind of gets this urging to get sent down the road that really leads to nowhere. Go south along the road to God, to this area called Gaza. And he's eventually prompted, as he follows a, kind of this prompting to, to go down this road, to speak to a man in a chariot. Now, he has no idea who this guy is or what he's about or where he's coming from, what this guy's story is. Turns out the, the Holy Spirit was laying a foundation in his life for a while. And we see how this conversation goes in Acts 8.35. Check it out. Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. Out of this conversation, out of the questions, and Philip, the disciple who had this great ministry going, following these urgings, the first international missionary is birthed. As this man that he ran into was a man of power in, or a man of position in Ethiopia. And he is able to take the gospel back to his country and allow the, the process of sharing that hope that he now found in Jesus because of Philip with those around him. Now, not every prompting will lead to such dramatic results. I get that. Just as not every nail or board is going to be the cornerstone to a house. But when it comes to... I'm going to use a kind of a business rule here, if you will. Je uh, a guy named Jeffrey Lant came up with this idea of the rule of seven. And it, the idea deals with sales and everything like that, but I think the concept still applies as well. 
that it, he says that it takes seven contacts with somebody before a person's going to buy something from you. Well, a similar, similar concept happens in the idea of mission. You know, it's not always the first time you talk to somebody, oh, they're going to accept Christ. Now, maybe that is the case. If you happen to be, to use the rule, the seventh person or the tenth person or the twentieth person that has reached out to them. I can remember in my own story, about that many conversations in the months before I even became a Christian. And maybe you happen to be one of those seven before somebody finally finds hope in their life in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're the third contact and you don't get to see the fruit just yet. Maybe you're the sixth contact and and you're building on the foundation of others that have gone before. And you're not the harvest isn't quite there yet to use a farmer analogy, not to mix metaphors or anything. But sometimes it takes that more than one conversation from more than one person. But here's the thing. When we're in that conversation, the Holy Spirit is not quit. And the Holy Spirit works in us. You, know, you ever wanted to stand up for something, whether it's dealing with faith or otherwise, but you didn't think you had the words? Well, if that's the case, you're going to love this one. Check out this hope that comes out of Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. Now, yes, Peter was an outspoken guy, but he still found extra boldness and words when the Holy Spirit empowered him. This is the start of his Pentecost sermon, the sermon that led to 3,000 people, the church growing 3,000 people in, in one sermon. Every pastor out there has wished that they could have that kind of effect. But you know what? To bring the scale down a little bit to something that happens a little more each day. You ever talk with somebody and the right words are, if you're talking about faith, the right passage just jumps into your head? I've had that on occasion. And then I kind of think about it afterwards. And I'm like, where in the world did I come up with that? In faith and other stuff, where it's just like, it, it pops into your head and it's like, how did I come up with that? Well, you know what? That's the Holy Spirit at work in us. And here's the thing. Sometimes those promptings aren't about having the right words, but knowing when to stop using them. You know, they, they say that there's kind of this difference between knowledge and wisdom. And knowledge is knowing what to say and wisdom is knowing when to stop saying something. And sometimes that leading, that prompting to stop and just listen ends up being the wisdom of the Holy Spirit working in us. And in each of these, the Holy Spirit is willing to help us be a part of that local mission. So this week, make our little corner of the world, or wherever you may be watching this, make your little corner of the world your prayer. I know we got people who are watching from you know far beyond New York. So, yes, the place where we need to pray for people, yes, there are, there is a place where we need to be praying for people that are doing missions around the world, especially in this time of unrest. But I believe the Holy Spirit puts us in this place, in this time, for His mission here, wherever you're, and puts you in the place that you're at and the time that you're at for your mission there, wherever you may be. So pray that we as a community would be open to the Holy Spirit's working in and through us, that we might be his, 
hands and feet in the hope of your town that was so loved by God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, it is amazing that you call us. So help us today to take comfort and to take hope and courage in the fact that you are there working every step of the way. And that what you have set in motion will not fail, but will come to, to fruition and harvest. All this we pray in your name. Amen.